Good morning and a very warm welcome to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. And today, folks, I have a very different type of a show. And the reason that is, is due to my interest, not knowledge, but interest in science and its correlation with God. So often the argument is put forward that God and science cannot go together. In fact, science disproves the existence of God. And you have leading atheists such as Richard Dawkins and others who would argue that point. Therefore, it's very interesting to go and discover someone like Cy Gart, who has a PhD in biochemistry and has been a tenured professor at New York University, Rutgers University, and the University of Pittsburgh. He's been the division director at the Center of Scientific Review of the National Institutes of Health and interim vice president for Research Services University of the Health Sciences. And so when you read this guy's background and his academic career, plus the fact that he comes from an atheistic home three generations of, it is very interesting when he then goes and testifies to the fact that it is science, both in physics and biology and also in chemistry, that are the very things that led him to a point of belief in God. And so I happened upon his story or him sharing his story on a YouTube channel called Walk by Faith. And I share this with you this morning because there's been numerous times where I have gone and mentioned people like John Lennox, who is a mathematics professor and scientist in Oxford. And I have mentioned, as I have said, Professor Richard Dawkins, who is quite militant in his disbelief of God and his want to go and proselytize the rest of the world in regard to why it is that you should not believe in God. So having someone coming from the opposite perspective, having known anything of God, having never been in a church till he was 40 years of age, makes things very interesting. But first, let us listen to the reading of Psalm 86 by Charlize. We're reading from Psalms 86. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. God my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God, have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord, listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you, because you answer me. Among the gods there is none like you, Lord, no deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the realm of the dead. Dragon foes are attacking me, O God. 
Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me, because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Hear me, Lord. And again I pause at that word, Lord. Because again it is in capital letters in the scripture. And that infers, that means that what David is actually saying in Hebrew is Jehovah Adonai, the sovereign God, sovereign Lord. The Lord is my sovereign. In other words, what David is saying is there is no greater God. There is no one who can be greater than this supreme being to whom he speaks. And that to me is something that is very, very significant the more that I read of it these days in Scripture. Because I genuinely believe that we don't have that picture of God, that God is the sovereign Lord. There is no one greater. There is no one who is able to usurp his authority. There is no one who is going to be able to overthrow him. There is no one who is going to be able to take his place. And that is of key significance. And we know as we read the biblical narrative that that is indeed what Satan has tried to do, or Lucifer, as he's also known, cause that rebellion in heaven. And it is also what we as human beings try to do. We try to explain God away. But David in this psalm goes and states, Hear me, Lord, Jehovah Adonai, sovereign God, the supreme ruler. And that is who he addresses in prayer. Now you see, I think that if we look at the psalm and we read that to begin with and understand to begin with that that is to whom David is speaking, it goes and transforms the nature of the psalm. Because now God isn't just on the same level as every other God. No, no, God is elevated far above. But in our world, God has been brought down. Or there are those who try to bring God down to being nothing more than a figment of the imagination, as I've already hinted at. But that is not who David is speaking to. Hear me, Lord, Jehovah Adonai, sovereign God, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. But we shall look at more of that later on in the programme. After the break... We'll be listening to the first part of Sai Gart's story of his journey to faith. Midlands 103. Welcome back to Heartlands here on Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gale. And now for the first part of this testimony by Professor Sai Gart, Dr. Sai Garth. As I went and said, he is a man who is well studied in the fields of physics, chemistry and biology. He was a man who never darkened a church door till he was 40 years of age. 
He was a man who grew up in an atheistic home, of whom he is the third generation. And yet he goes and states that science is the very thing that brings him to faith. So this is the first part of his story. My parents and my family, going back three generations, were atheists. Uh, my parents were uh, actually very left-wing, as was my whole family, also going back three generations. And my parents were had been members of the American Communist Party in the 30s, and part of what they believed was that religion was a terrible thing and Christianity was among the worst of all the religions. And so I grew up uh, in an a-religious household, uh, anti-religious household, I should say. Um, we didn't celebrate any holidays. We didn't celebrate Christmas. We gave each other gifts on, on New Year's Day because that's what was done in Russia at that time. I just had the sense that Christianity was one of the great evils in the world. And that that whole ideology stayed with me through my youth, through my childhood and youth, into my early adulthood. And at the same time, uh, I was feeling a sort of a hole, something missing in my life. I didn't know what it was. I think I think it it was some sense of spirituality, which was completely you know not there in my upbringing. Uh, no aspect of spirituality was considered. Uh, appropriate. And in fact, my father was a scientist, he's a chemist, and he was very materialistic and didn't hold with anything like, he didn't even believe in psychology or, or anything unrelated to uh, very tangible materialism. And I grew up pretty much the same way, uh, but I did feel this sense of something missing until I started studying science. I, I started with chemistry in college, taking after my my old man. Uh, and then I went to biochemistry in graduate school. And at that point, I felt that what I had been missing was something like that. And, and it kind of filled that gap. I, science is just a, a wonderful thing, uh, I felt, and I still do. Uh, it's, it's exciting, it's uh, transformative, and it, it's true, which is, you know, it's demonstrably uh, valuable. I mean, look at all that we've accomplished with scientific uh, discoveries and technological uh, applications of science. So I felt uh, pretty good about that and uh, really enjoyed science and loved the idea of being a professional scientist. Uh, however, there was an unexpected uh, twist to that, which was that some of the science that I was learning, especially in physics, I didn't quite jive with the strictly materialistic and reductionist view that I had been taught. So, for example, in quantum mechanics, we have a great deal of probability rather and uncertainty. It's not possible to know some things about, you know, particles and electrons. And you have to sort of get a probability distribution of where an electron is. It's not in a particular place. And, and, and quantum mechanics gets, quantum mechanics gets really weirder than that even. I mean, there's, there's, um, lots of things which I won't go into, but superposition and things which are just, you know, strange. And nobody denies this. Everybody agrees that it's strange, but it's also absolutely true and it works, um, 
better than you know anything else that's i mean to many decimal places the the calculations of quantum mechanics fit reality so that was a a puzzle for me because i couldn't understand you know how reality which i thought more of a classical sense the kind of the the clockwork universe everything is predictable everything can be understood in in detail the way we understand mechanics regular mechanics and that's not the case it turns out that reality is really very strange and very well you can almost say spiritual in a way and that recognition that awareness was spreading through the culture when i was in, when i was a graduate student and things became very things like new age stuff became very popular uh there were a lot of people in my generation who were non-religious much, much as today uh and uh were looking for something and they found lots of interesting ideas most of which i discarded because they were to me they were clearly false and weren't going anywhere and i'm talking about things like pyramids and crystals and all kinds of new age kind of things most of which i've forgotten about now but i did look into it because i was curious i wasn't anywhere near um thinking about god however I, I, that was still something that I completely rejected in, in any sense. On the other hand, what I now know is that God was calling me at that point. I had no idea, but there were several incidents that occurred in my early life that I couldn't make sense of and I dismissed because I couldn't make sense of them. But I now know that they were related to uh, being called by the Holy Spirit. And as time went on, uh, I had, especially I had a, some dreams, uh, which I describe uh, in detail in my book, uh, which is called The Works of His Hands, Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. And those dreams were very baffling to me. They, they uh, I didn't know what they meant, although now they're quite clear. And I also ended up going to a church for the first time in my life. This was by then I was already in my 40s. I was an active working scientist, very busy, moderately successful, I guess. And uh, last thing I wanted to do was think about anything like God or, you know, anything spiritual. However, um, I did agree to go to the church with a friend of mine who was a Catholic. And I went to a Catholic church and was quite worried about what would happen. I'd heard so many bad things about Catholicism that I thought they would probably stone me at the door or something. But anyway, I went and uh, I was pleasantly surprised by what happened, which was nothing bad. Uh, the priest gave a sermon about love and everybody shook everybody's hand and wished them the peace of Christ. And it was fine. It was pleasant. And at that point, I began to realize that a lot of the things that I had heard about the horrors of Christianity might have been exaggerated, <laughs> maybe more than that. Uh, so I, uh, I, my curiosity was piqued, and I started even reading a little bit of the Gospels, which the main impression I got from reading what I read, which was the book of Matthew and the book of Acts, was that this was not made up, which was one of the things I had believed i as we often hear from atheists today uh jesus was not real it was a religion made up by i don't know the romans or by paul or by somebody 
uh, and none of this stuff actually happened. But when I read the book of Acts, uh, that didn't strike me as as possible. I, I'm very interested in history. I've done a lot of historical reading and the book of Acts read like a historical document. It didn't read like anything that somebody had made up. And um, the book of Matthew, I found interesting, but and, and in some parts, of course, the Sermon on the Mount, very inspiring, but uh, a lot of it I didn't understand. And at that point, I had gone further in my journey with respect to science, and I was now finding things not only in physics, but in biology, which was my field. I, my degree was in biochemistry, and I worked in uh, biological systems. And there were also things in, in biochemistry that simply made very little sense to me from a purely scientific background. Uh, and uh, some of that is very technical, and I, I can't really go into much detail about it. But things like the very complicated biochemical systems that had to be present at the very beginning of life, uh, because without those systems, you can't have evolution, and without evolution, there's no life. So that was very curious to me, and I and it kind of chipped away much further at that wall of disbelief that I had, uh, to the point where I actually started thinking that maybe I'm not really an atheist, maybe I'm more of an agnostic. I, I just don't know. Midlands 103. Welcome back to Heartlands and Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. So we are journeying through Sigurd's story, and he has us now left us in a position where he's getting deeper into science, but he has issues because he's discovering issues within science that science is incapable of actually going in giving him certain answers because for example in mathematics and physics he goes and speaks about the fact that there are permutations there are different possibilities of outcome that it isn't a guaranteed result that is going to take place and so because there are different permutations possibly able to go and take place then Things aren't absolute, which is what people like Richard Dawkins go and declare. That everything has its natural law, natural order, and nothing changes. And therefore, it doesn't need a creator God because it works within the confines of nature and evolutionary processes. But he was finding in his field that that wasn't the case. And so he now has questions. And so again, we take up on the second part of his story. I don't know how all, I don't know how life could have originated. I don't know how the universe, nobody knows how the universe originated. And, you know, how can we rule out God, I guess, was my, was my view. But I certainly did not feel a sense of belief. And it was at that point that um, I, I had a dream that was um, quite uh, shocking to me and surprising. And by this time, since I was no longer a strict atheist, I pretty much knew what it meant. And in this dream, I was walking around a walled garden trying to get in. And the problem is the wall was very high and it was very smooth. And I, and I tried climbing up and I couldn't get more than a couple of feet. So I kept walking around to see if I could find a place where there might be an easier uh, way to get up on to the wall and climb over it. 
but I couldn't find one and I was getting quite frustrated. And then I, I ran into a man who was standing there outside the garden and he asked me, what's my problem? Why am I upset? And I said, I'm trying to get in and I, and I can't get over the wall. And he said, well, and he pointed and he said, why not use the door? It's open. So I went over and there was a door, which I had not seen. And I opened it and went in and then woke up. And um, when I woke up, unlike the first dream, which I'll talk about in a few minutes, I knew what that one was about. That, that was Jesus Christ. And he was telling me that it was easy to go into the garden. I didn't have to struggle and climb over the fence. I just had to walk in. And that was a revelation to me because up until then, I had thought that if you wanted to be a Christian, if you wanted to be religious, if you wanted to acknowledge the existence of God, you probably had to take a test and pass it. You probably had to do a lot of work. It was not going to be easy. It was going to be very difficult. And instead, what I learned from that dream was that that was wrong. You have to open up and just go, just do it, just walk through the door. And the way I talked about it later was faith is a gift and all you have to do is accept it. And that's not easy to do. Sometimes we don't want to accept gifts that we, we're suspicious about them. We don't know where they come from. Maybe there is some, you know, hidden obligation. It's not a pure gift. Maybe you have to pay somehow. It's going to cost you something. And that's how I felt. Uh, uh, and, and this dream told me, no, it, it, it's just easy. It, the gift is free. All you have to do is take it. And at that point, I was feeling very ready uh, to accept the idea of believing in God, but I couldn't quite get there. And the reason I couldn't get there, and that has to do with the first dream, which I'd had many years earlier. I don't know exactly when, but I was definitely still an atheist. And that dream was really a nightmare. It started out with me holding on to the edge of a cliff, dangling off the edge. And since I'm afraid of heights, that was a very scary dream. Uh, and then what happened was I, I, I started calling for help. I didn't know to who. I just, I was just, you know, saying help, help, help. And then I heard a voice somewhere saying, just let go, which made no sense to me because that's what I was afraid of. If I let go, I would fall down. But the voice repeated that several times. And uh, at some point I actually, I realized, well, I can't hold on anymore anyway. So I just let go. And instead of falling, what happened was as soon as I let go, the whole world turned 90 degrees. So that instead of being vertical, I was now horizontal lying on the ground and I was perfectly fine. And I looked up and there was a man standing there whose voice I had heard. I had no idea who that man was. And when I woke up from that dream, I, uh, I, I didn't know what it, I had no idea what it meant. Uh, let go. What does that mean? And later at the point that I'm after I had that second dream, I understood what letting go meant. It meant let go of everything that's holding me back. All the training I'd had as, as a child, all the stuff I had learned, not just communism, but atheism and the idea that God is can't be real and just let that go. And it was hard to do. I wanted to because I knew that much of what I had, what I had been taught was false and I, several ways that I knew that, but it was still very difficult to do. I knew that that was my goal. And I felt that if I could let go of all of that, that wall, which was still there crumbling, but it was still there. 
uh, I, I might be able to, to, you know, join those people who I was now envying. I was now starting to envy the people who had faith, who could believe. I couldn't. And uh, I don't know, that, that situation was where I was for a few years. And I guess the Holy Spirit had mercy on me, and um, which I don't know why. <laughs> but one day I, um, I was driving my car uh, alone on an intercity trip. It was a long trip, six hours. And I was listening to the radio and I heard a, a Christian radio station come on with a very good preacher who really had a great style of speaking. And I, I thought, gee, that, you know, I admire that. that that's, I wish I could speak like that. And I turned off the radio and I started thinking about what would it be like if I tried to preach or give a sermon, which of course was, was crazy. I mean, <laughs> last thing I ever thought of. But what happened was uh, something came over me, which I can't explain or describe. It was just a feeling of some, some kind. And I decided to pull the car over and, and I kind of had this image, vision, whatever imagination of, of addressing a crowd of people uh, outside. And words just came to me and um, I began preaching a sermon. It didn't come from me. Uh, many of the words that I used were not words I was familiar with. And what I think I really was happening was I was preaching a sermon to myself. And what I said in that sermon was, speaking to this crowd, I said, I know that Jesus Christ loves you because he loves even me and the sinner that I am. And I went through all the ways that I had rejected God and Jesus and all the ways I had mocked his followers and you know, the, the things that I had done, the persecutions, I mean, almost like Paul, but not quite. And um, when I said that, and then I said, if Jesus could love even me, who would he not love? Who could he not love? And at that point, I kind of woke up. I began crying in a way that I, I hadn't ever before. And I said out loud, I believe. And that was it. And I immediately felt this amazing flood of relief, joy, freedom, everything good. It was, I had taken the wrapping off the gift. I had taken the gift and accepted it. And it was the best gift I'd ever gotten in my life. And I've been a believer ever since. Midlands 183. Welcome back to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. So folks, what did you think of Sai's story? As he journeyed from atheism, discovered his anomalies that were in science that caused him to question his atheistic viewpoints, brought him to a place of Gnosticism, and then brought him to a place of belief in God, which was aided by the two dreams he spoke of, and then that preaching a sermon to himself on the side of the road in the car, till he came to a point where he declared his belief in the person of Jesus. And then that created a reaction within him. And so he came to the understanding that he believed. We began this show by listening to Psalm 86 and looking at the first three words of the psalm. Hear me, Lord. Psalm 86 is a prayer of David. The whole thing is request after request after request, which we shall look at now. But it's based on David's belief in the Lord, as we said, Jehovah Adonai, the Lord our God, the Supreme One, the Sovereign 
Lord. And so, as I said, he puts request after request after request to God. And the question that comes to mind is, why? What is the purpose of the prayer? So let me go and put it to you. He goes and asks the Lord the following. As I said, hear me, Lord. Guard my life. Save your servant. Bring joy to your servant. Have mercy on me. Hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. Teach me your ways. Give me an undivided heart. Turn to me. Show your strength. Save me. Give me a sign. And so what we have is request after request, as I've said, which, to be honest, you and I no doubt have prayed at points. How many of us have actually gone and we wanted a sign from God? How many of us have gone and called out and asked God to save us from a situation we find ourselves in? How many of us have asked God to turn towards us? After all, was God not distant or have his back to us, felt remote to us? And so we call out. But the question, as I said, that I ask is this. Why does David put request after request after request to God? Well, it does go and tell us in Psalm 86 and verse 14 that David knew that he was going to be attacked and that there was ruthless people who were trying to kill him. And so he was longing to be set free from the circumstances he found himself engaged in warfare. In fairness, on the battlefields across our world, would it not be fair to say that maybe a similar prayer would be uttered and said? But that's not why David actually goes and calls out on the Lord. The reason that David actually goes and calls out to God, the reason that he seeks God, the reason that he uses all those terms that I've just said, the reason why he's petition after petition after petition, hear me, guard me, have mercy on me, save me, etc., 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 is because of who God is in the psalm. Think about that. It is because of who God is. And so he says to him that yes, he is Jehovah Adonai, the sovereign Lord. And because of the fact that God is the sovereign Lord, he, David, has been faithful to God. He, David, trusts in God. He, David, has come to a place where he makes the declaration, you are my God, just like Sai did in his story. He put all of his eggs, as they say, in one basket. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I trust in you. Why? Why does David trust in the Lord? Here's why. He goes and starts to expound to us who the Lord is. You are forgiving. Lord, you are good. You are abounding in love to all who call to you. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. As we said, he is the supreme ruler. He is sovereign. There is 
no one greater. There can be no one greater. No one will be able to usurp his place of authority. He is God. And that is where David puts his trust. And that is why David is calling out to him. He's calling out to him because of who God is. And one of the great things that really has been ministering to me, really has been striking me, is this. That we don't really know who God is. We have a concept of who he is, but we don't know who he is. How well do you know God? If I were to sit with you and ask you to go and elaborate to me who God is, would the words forgiving, good, abounding in love, merciful, that there is no God that can compare with God, that his deeds are great and marvellous deeds, that is why David is crying out to the Lord and says, Teach me your way, Lord. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. What's he going to do? I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. As you contemplate who God is, what way does that formulate your prayer? Does it have you come to a point that you know you can trust him? That you can come to him with your, with your requests. And that your expectation is God is going to hear you and answer you. Let me leave those thoughts with you. So until next time, thank you for listening to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you, show you grace. And turn his face towards you and give you Peace. Amen. Midlands 183.